Well, we got uh, to Acts chapter 4, and sometimes, you know, it's kind of hard, you know, as, as I think about, like, how you divide up, like, you know, where you should stop and where you should continue. Sometimes it's just sake of time as far as how you get. You know, I, I thought maybe we should have t- covered this last portion last week, but we had, we had enough that we covered last week. But it really does fit well um, in how we're going to divide it up today. Um, so we're going to start in Acts 4.23 and, and maybe do a, a quick recap um, of what had happened previously toward, you know, towards this thing. Um, as we kind of are thinking about, you know, what, what we're going to talk about, um, really the, the apostles, uh, Peter and John, had encountered this situation. It was, again, an ordinary day for them. It was an ordinary day for this man, and it was an ordinary day for um, a lot of people who were gathering around at the temple. Um, again, just going about the typical what they have done in the past couple weeks, or maybe even the past decades, um, in, in their daily routine, and so things changed though that day, and so this man that was begging, uh, asking for money, just as his custom was for many, many years, Peter and John had said, I don't have money, but I give you the gift of Jesus Christ, and he stood up and walked, and it changed his life forever. It gathered a crowd who, you know, was like, what's going on? This guy has been begging for years, and so Peter says, I'll tell you what's going on, it's just Jesus, you know who Jesus is. You might have been there when you, you know, uh, when he was crucified or, or before that and, you know, told Pilate, crucify him. And, you know, all the events that happened, you know, maybe heard the rumors about things that were happening after the fact that maybe he had returned. Well, this is Jesus. He's the one that, that this is the reason that this guy is walking. And people responded to that and were like, you know, things clicked for them. The Lord opened up their eyes and they responded to the gospel. We saw last week specifically as, as you know, one group. Uh, comes and draws closer to the gospel, another group kind of distances themselves from Jesus. And there's a group that wanted to kind of stop the gospel. And it was the leaders, those who kind of are there to make peace and make sure that, you know, everything exists and goes along, you know, the normal course of action as it always has. And so this Jesus can't interrupt, you know, whether it was their personal gain or whether it was just, you know, what they had thought, how God, you know, interacts with people, uh, Jesus was not, in their mind, any part of that. And so they wanted Peter and John to stop talking about Jesus. And they said, well, we, we can't do that. Um, and so it kind of brings us up to, you know, the after effect, you know, what, what happened right after that time. Um, so this is kind of a significant event, right? They were brought before the, the officials. You know, it's like if you're ever pulled over by a police officer, not that any of you have, um, but if you're ever pulled over, or maybe even if you're driving and you see police lights behind you, you kind of pause and think, like you probably, immediate, I don't know if about you, but I immediately look at my speedometer and think like, oh, is, am, I going, am I going the speed limit? You're like, I'm going the speed limit. And then passes by, but I don't know if your heart ever kind of like stops for a second, um, that you're thinking like, oh no, you know, because there's a sense of, of being a, you know, in front of authorities. If you do get pulled over, you're like, what's the problem? You know, what was going on? If you were speeding, hopefully you just admit that and say, yes, you know, I was, I was speeding. But sometimes, you know, they alert you to a problem, you know, taillight being out, things like that. But if you ever come before somebody, you know, it's like this event that happens and, you know, for, for better or for worse. And they, they went ahead in front of the high priests, right, the, the top Jewish officials um, in the city that Peter and John were uh, in front of. And so how they respond to that is really instructive for us, you know, and, and maybe how we respond to some of these particular events. Um, have any of you guys have uh, had a situation that maybe on the surface was something that was, was a burden 
or that you thought, man, this is really bad. I, this is not something that you know I need in my life right now. But you know, maybe it was later on, shortly afterwards, or maybe even it took took a little bit of time that you found was actually more of a blessing than a burden. Anyone have those those events? It's probably we all have those events. Uh, does anybody have anything they want to share? What you got? It's Thomas, right? Yes, sir. Okay. What you What do you got? Okay. That would inevitably lead me down a road of destruction and would place me in a place that no one really wants to go. Mm -hmm. And that's always inconvenient because um, it takes us from a positive environment and puts us into a negative environment. And everything that we were, or whatever little that we had going for us, more, um, would be taken like that, you'd have to start all over again after that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so some of these things that you and your mind think like, all right, this is a big burden, but sometimes those things can be, you know, can, can be like a fresh start. Like, all right, this time, you know. I elaborate on that. You can elaborate on that. Do you want to elaborate on that? Or? Yes, sir. Okay. <laughs> in that time of being placed in a, somewhere you don't really want to go, you a lot of time and you realize how important time is and with an abundance of it you can do good things mm-hmm. that can save your life mm-hmm. so it turns out to be a blessing it's, it can turn out to be a blessing if you use it that way okay thanks for sharing um and there's, there's, there's certain things, you know, it's kind of one of those things, like, we should probably all have those things that come to mind, you know, and for some reason, like, we sometimes think about other things, like, when I, when I think about, like, what are things that maybe were a burden that become a blessing, uh, I don't know why, but I thought of uh, uh, my wife's uh, aunt and uncle, they lost their home in a fire, and, uh, you know, but they got to rebuild, what's that? <laughs> it was kind of one of those funny... Well, it was funny because the way the way that his, the way her uncle responded was like, if I knew I would have been able to rebuild and do it the way I wanted, I would have set my you know. He was like, he was like, I would have had this fire a long time ago. Like he didn't set his house on fire. If anyone's listening, it wasn't a pre-term. But it was kind of in his sense was like a, a way to restart and actually kind of have a house that they they had wanted, um, you know, and, and and some of those things that had happened, but. You know, if we lose a job or certain things, again, that make us reflect or stop and look at those things on, on what we think, oh, this is a burden, but actually becomes a blessing. What did you say? <laughs> yeah. Are they the burden that became a blessing? <laughs> maybe, maybe, yeah. Anyway, so... Um, so, so for, for, for these guys, you know, how do, they, how do they respond? And really what we're going to see is, is how, to, how we should respond to personal attacks. Um, and and kind of the, we're going to get two, two different sets of circumstances in responding to difficulties, um, which is a theme that comes all throughout Scripture. Uh, and it resonates so much with us because we're either in a time of, of feeling like blessing, you know, if, if you have a prayer request, is there anything we can pray for? Sometimes you're like, you know, I think things are good right now. But you know that there's going to be that time that there's going to be some difficulty we'll face. And we're either, you know, coming out of or going into or, or in the midst of a particular trial. 
And so, right there in verse 23, you know, they had been, they had been released um, from the authorities. They kind of had them in custody, held, held them overnight, and said, listen, don't talk about Jesus. And they're like, listen, we, you know, if, if you think it's okay to, to do something that God tells you to do, then I'll let you think about that. And so, but they're like, we can't, we can't stop talking about Jesus. And so, you know, they were threatened and then they were let go. So they really, they had a, had a choice to make, you know, do they take these threats seriously? Um, do they, do they listen to the authorities? Do they obey the authorities that are over them that say, don't talk about Jesus or, you know, do they need, do they continue? And so that's kind of maybe in a point right now is where we're getting is that, you know, they, they need to feel, see how they should respond. So verse 23 says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Okay, so how were they treated when they were being tried? Do you guys remember that from last week? Was it a cordial time? And, you know, just asking the facts of what happened? They were harsh with them. Right in the beginning, remember they said, you know, these these men from Galilee. How how are they educated? How can they do these things? How can they how can they heal? Right, and maybe in some sense they were they were you know maybe belittled a little bit, um, and then they were uh, then they were threatened right to stop doing what they were doing. And we and we looked last week that Jesus was threatened the same way. Right, he would heal on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees would be like, "What are you doing healing on the Sabbath? We're not supposed to do any work." And he's like. You guys are missing the whole point about you know me coming and God uh, doing a mighty work in your midst. Well, what did the uh, what did the chief priests and the elders say to them? I kind of alluded to that, but what do they what do they tell tell Peter and John specifically before they released them? Okay, ask them not to speak or teach about Jesus. All right, and they were clear about that. Um, not only did they say you can't do that, Peter and John responded, but then they threatened them even more. And so I think the message was clear when they left. Um, exactly, you know, what they were supposed to or not supposed to do. Um, so when you go back to, you know, if you went back to your friends or your spouse, and you've had maybe a, a bad day, something happened, um, how do you typically respond? You know, you don't have to, have to mention that. You don't have to say this. But, you know, think about how you typically respond um, as a result of the day's events. So kind of maybe lock that in your mind for a second, uh, and we'll see how they respond. It says, verse 24, when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. So when their friends heard it, lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. Okay, so how did the believers respond? They praise God. Yeah, and really, when they're praising God, um, you know, so because sometimes, right, you want a sympathetic ear. You know, you wouldn't believe what happened to me today, right? And you usually, either want to complain. I don't, you know, 
I'm sorry to say you. I sometimes will come back and I'll complain and I'll say this is really what happened or I had a bad day. And you know, you probably don't want the response to be like, well, praise God for that, right? You probably want the response to be like, you know, yeah, you were wronged. You know, I can't believe that they would do that. And sometimes you want that sympathetic ear, uh, which is really not the biblical response. Um, and so they had the, the proper response because they praised God. And they really put the, the, the what happened, the context of what they experienced in light of God's like, sovereign plan. Right? They said, let's kind of put this experience um, in light of what God's word says. And they go to, go to a psalm uh, that is attributed to David in that his experience. Um, and so what David experienced and how he responded could be similar to maybe how we should respond about that. So um, what uh, this psalm is uh, from Psalm 2. So flip there real quick. And uh, and so we'll get a little bit of a context about like what, you know, what this psalm is about. Because they said, you know, this is, this is attributing to what Peter and John experienced to a response, you know, that David is having, uh, or is having with what's going on with him. So it says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So, that, uh, so the response of these people, of these kings, these rulers, are getting together and saying, like, you know, pushing it back against God's anointed. This is a, a, a psalm that um, is attributed to the Messiah. And so the anointed one, if in your version, might have a capital A referring to Christ. Right? And they're saying, like, listen, whatever you know, God's plans for us is really shackles to us. So let's break apart those bonds and cast away those cords, the things that tie us up. And he says in, in verse 4 is, is how God responds. He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. He will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Again, the messianic implications right there. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in the way. For His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him." And so, really what, what David was talking about here and what uh, you know, the, the, these believers are picking up on are the fact that whenever that there is a council, and especially, you know, he says that the kings and the rulers, when they gather together, right? That, that was the Sanhedrin. They were in front of a council of rulers, of Jewish rulers, and they gathered together to really conspire to do something that would thwart what God is doing, you know, in their midst, and so they're like, man, that's Psalm 2 right there. That, you know, that 
that when they had probably known this psalm, it, it was probably something uh, vague to them that they had remembered, maybe something future and far off. But for them, they're like, listen, this is happening right here. That they're really saying, like, listen, you need to stop talking about Jesus. Um, in their minds, they're, they're casting off these, uh, these shackles of who Jesus is, even though Jesus came to, to really set them free. And all the while, what's God's response in heaven? Like, you guys are conspiring down there, you're kind of making your plans, you're saying, you know, like, stop talking about Jesus, but in God's eye, what, what, how is he responding? Right, it says he laughs. Um, he laughs because he knows what he's going to accomplish, and he knows what he is going to do. And even though they are powerful in their own um, context and in their own, like, you know, small little world or dominion that they have uh, influence over, God's like, listen, you know, that's, that's, not, that's really not what's going to happen. And in the end, right, that it's, it's those rulers who don't repent is that Christ is going to, has the power to break them, right? Even though they feel like they're the ones who have the power, that, that it is Christ who really is the one who has power over them. It might have been them who conspired to put Jesus to death, but in the end, it is Jesus who can either, uh, who can send them to eternal punishment but the end of psalm 2 is like hey listen be wise like wake up think like see what's going on see how people are responding see the fact that jesus did all these miracles and that you attribute it to to god and his working and so just turn your hearts and repent and so that's kind of the end of the end of mess the message at psalm 2 is like please come back worship the son uh, come back to his anointed and the believers are just understanding that, that that's exactly what's going on, and John and Peter get to be a part of that experience. So what, what, were, what was it that these, these, um, uh, these leaders were missing? And we go back to Acts. Um, we didn't talk about it really last week, but I wanted to at least touch, about, touch on it, just because we didn't, uh, for, for sake of time. Um, but it was a theme that, uh, that is picked up by Peter, and it's picked up by Paul, um, and they're, they're echoing something that was said uh, in the Old Testament, that um, in Acts 4.11, that Peter, when he's responding to the leaders, he says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. So, and, and I'm sure all of you know, but the, that theme, that what, what is a cornerstone? Okay, well, it's, and it's, it's the first piece of a foundational stone, right? And that stone was to be uh, perfect in how it was, um, I guess, cut, uh, because uh, if that's your foundational stone and you're building off of that, one, you want that to be level, you want that to be uh, straight, because you're going to build everything off of that. And so the cornerstone was kind of that first thing, uh, you know, um, I don't know what we, what we call it now, but I know in Blueprints, uh, when I kind of worked in that world, um, that there would always be like a set marker that everything for uh, engineering plans and architectural plans was always like set off of. If uh, somehow you were calibrated off those things, uh, then an engineering plan and architectural plan wouldn't match up. So they try to do those things, uh, try to find uh, a set point that they're going to make all their measurements off of, and the cornerstone was going to be that for a foundational piece. And so this cornerstone is attributed in various places to Jesus. Um, Ephesians 2.20, 
Paul says, Jesus Christ being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows in a holy temple in the Lord. That it is the cornerstone, that if everyone has Jesus as the cornerstone, that uh, we together as individual pieces become this holy temple. Peter alludes to this, and he refers to this twice, that this cornerstone can, be, can be, have two different um, functions. And so he kind of elaborates the same thing that he, he says to these leaders later on in his, uh, le- his letter that he writes in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter 2.6, and he's quoting Isaiah. Right here, he's, uh, this, is, this verse is uh, in Psalm 118. So there's a couple places, again, New, uh, Old Testament authors had, had used this terminology and phraseology to refer to this Messiah, and Peter picks up on that. Um, he says, uh, quoting Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen, he says uh, of the Lord, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And so this cornerstone is, again, if you believe in Jesus Christ and he is your cornerstone, that that is the foundation that you should lay your life on top of. Paul echoes the same language when, in 1 Corinthians 3 when he talks about being this uh, master builder and that when he builds on a foundation, uh, that he is building on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, who is Jesus Christ, and that everything should be built on top of that. And he gives a warning for those that don't build on Jesus Christ's foundation. When they are judged, all of those things will be burnt up in a fire. And so, so you can either say, okay, this cornerstone is who I build, set my life on, and that I align everything with this cornerstone and build my life around that, or you see this cornerstone as something else. If you don't see this cornerstone as, you know, it was interesting, we went, uh, we were hiking in uh, Mount Arabia yesterday. Any of you guys ever been there? Mount Arabia? It's kind of like, it's, it's down near Stone Mountain. So if you've been to Stone Mountain, it's like Stone Mountain, but it's just kind of this wide open area. But it's interesting as you walk around, it's just basically like walking on, on rock for like a couple miles. Um, but some of the rock kind of like breaks off and it breaks off in these like sometimes like really neat looking, uh, you know, perfect pieces. It's just kind of like right in the middle. Um, and you're like, did somebody break this off and leave it here? But you can see that it, because it's these long hills and things like that, they kind of broke off and they break off uh, and slide down. And so some of those would be like good foundation stones. And there could be like something that like, Hey, if I want to build, I, w- I could use this and I could build off of that because the way that it, it's broken off is like this little perfect piece. And, um, or, as you're walking, it could be something that's just a rock in your way, right? It's either seen, you see the value in it, or you see it as something that is something to be either discarded, to be neglected, or it can even be something that actually gets in your way. Um, and that is how Peter kind of lays that out. And again, 1 Peter 2, he says, verse 9, and he quotes another place in Isaiah 8. So Isaiah kind of uses that cornerstone language in two different senses, and Peter pulls them together. He says that this cornerstone could be a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And again, as we said last week, that when people respond to the message of Jesus, that they either see Jesus as a life-giving source or really something that is just like a bird, like, a, you know, I don't want to hear about it, I don't need it, you know, that's good for you, you know, whatever you want. And some respond, you know, as either like, nah, I don't need it, or even respond as like, I want to suppress it. And that's what we're seeing these leaders, how they're responding. That Jesus to them is something that is getting in their way, right? They have their 
Uh, they have their things that they're in charge of, right? And if you think about historically, like if they're a priest, they would have been in the line of Aaron, or they would have been in the, in the Levitical line if they were a temple worker. And so because of their birthly heritage, um, they would have picked up certain uh, you know, rights in order to be you know, set apart right, for working for God. Or if they were a scribe, Right? They would have studied and they would have you know, labored their life to copying down the words of God. So they would have known the words of God because they copied it. And, and for them, they think they know God more than these uneducated Gentiles. And so when they hear Jesus, they don't separate Jesus as somebody something they need because they've got everything they need in themselves. So Jesus is a stumbling block and a rock of offense. And Peter like says that to them when he was standing before them. And so again, going back to after they report to their friends what's going on, right? They praise God that, that, that they can be a part of the fact that these Gentiles and these rulers, and in this sense, the Gentiles were, were Pilate and, and the Romans, um, but that uh, for them, that these rulers are kind of working against God, but they can be a part of that to maybe draw them in and to continue to do God's work. So they recognize, again, whatever is happening is in the context of God's sovereignty and what God is doing in their lives. All right, uh, verse 27 in Acts chapter 4 says, For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus. Right. So they're making the application, that connection with, uh, with Psalm 2. Right? They gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles. So again, connecting that verse, to verse 1 in chapter 2, that the Gentiles were raging, and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan has predestined to take place. So the Gentiles were Pilate, the rulers were the priests and the elders, they were lined up against Jesus, but who ordained them all? Who oversaw this entire, you know, the, the entire scheming of the Gentiles and the rulers and all of that? What's that? God. 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 That behind it all, even though these things were happening, playing out, is that behind them all, God is behind them, right? And he's laughing. Because he says, you know what? You think you've won. But really, <laughs> really... You've done exactly what I've set out for you to do because you have now liberated by crucifying Jesus Christ. You've liberated all who I have set apart to call in the name of Christ. And you think you're stopping me working and me healing. But honestly, you've set a platform for others to see how great you are and to come to me. Verse 29, and now, Lord, look upon their threats, all right, this is kind of a, a prayer to God, right? Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So what did they pray for? 
What do they pray for? What's that? They prayed, yeah. They prayed for boldness. They prayed, Lord, please help us continue. Right? There's this opposition. We have been told to stop talking. Please help us not be silent. And they prayed for that. And how did God respond? Yeah. So if there's ever confirmation, right? You know, we don't we don't always get an earthquake. I, I don't think I've ever gotten an earthquake. But for them, right, at this crucial time early on in in their ministry, this is really the first outward opposition that they have received um, to preaching the word, is that God is is responding and continuing to affirm what they are doing. And so by that, they won't be silent and they will continue to preach. God's word. And we'll see that people will respond, but we'll also see that again, we're going to end up in the same situation, maybe even worse, at least from, you know, uh, our, you know, from an earthly standpoint, um, a fleshly standpoint, but we'll, we'll get to that in a couple chapters. So if you can step back and say, like, whenever you are persecuted, whenever you feel like, you know, maybe even you've had a bad day or you've, you know, the, the world is against you. That really, that is a time that leads us to prayer, it should, and to lead us to see that God's purposes and planning. Even though we may not see how those dots connect, we can see that maybe, right, whatever the, the outcome is, that maybe whether it's a diagnosis or a job uh, change or whatever it is, you know, that is that we experience, you know, all the things that we, we experience that are changes in our lives that we don't, you know, always embrace, and those things are a time for us to see that God is working in us because when we look back, right, we see how those dots connect. But going forward, we don't quite see that, so it, it allows us to be more dependent upon God. But we just, again, trust that we know, God, you've worked all in history, and we know that those dots do connect, so it allows us to say those dots will connect. Help us to trust in you. Help us to not fear. Help us to not shrink back. Help us to be bold in whatever it is that you've asked us to do as we continue on to live the the Christian walk that you've you've asked us to do. So are there any verses that you guys kind of go to or think about that kind of help you get to that point more quickly? What's that? Okay, yeah, so Romans 8.28 is a good one, you know. Uh, sometimes we use that as counsel to others, but really it's, uh, it's often counsel for ourselves. And whatever we go through, that God has, has ordained it for good, um, no matter what that difficulty is. I can do all things through Okay, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's again a, a verse of encouragement. What else? What's that? Okay, he who began a good work is faithful to complete it. Okay. Okay, so how to equip ourselves? Okay, yeah. What's that? Okay, yeah, and there's a lot of those go-to verses that we go to. You know, I, I always think of uh, Joseph, especially when I feel like I'm, I'm you know, you know, experiencing something that, that is wrong, that, that really, um, you know, even if somebody meant it for evil, that God can, can work it for good. Um, you know, if we feel like we're being persecuted, right, Jesus said early on in his ministry that you will be persecuted, and, and, and uh, 
praise God for that. That's in um, Matthew 5. And so we can all have those things that hopefully, right, the reason that we study God's Word, we learn God's Word, is that we can meditate on those things to give us the strength, to give us that boldness. And we can look at, you know, uh, the examples that we see even in Acts, um, because that's what they did, right? They looked back at David's life. They looked back at you know, the Old Testament and said, you know, where, where do we see ourselves in this? And, and, uh, and we can do the same. We can do the same and find encouragement. So that was, that's kind of an outward. When, when things are kind of coming from the outside and attacking us, um, but we find like some, another uh, maybe difficulty or issue, but actually ends up being a, a, a place of blessing, is in the next set of verses. So responding to personal needs. So the first was kind of responding to personal attacks, but now we can see responding to personal needs, verses 32 through 36. It says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. This echoes you know, the same things that we saw at the end of chapter 2, right? That, that how, how, like, what, what the early church looked like. They got together for teaching, they got together for prayer. And it says that, that you know, sometimes if there is outside persecution... The thought is, right, for the leaders, they're like, we'll threaten them and that'll put a stop to it. It'll weaken the church. But what does it actually do? It makes them stronger, right? Um, so what happened as a result of this persecution is that they all had to come together and they all had to go to God and say, like, listen, God, like, help, help us continue to do what you want us to do. And it drew them together to rely upon one another. I mean, they know... You know, even though they're trusting in God, that God has given them each other to support one another as a, as a network, right? That's how God works. He works within His people to support one another, to strengthen one another, to encourage one another. I mean, they could have felt that earthquake, but it wasn't like you're all on your own, right? We see right now um, that there is tangible evidence, like, how are we going to do this? Uh, well, if you're hungry, like, I have food, I'll give it to you. If you need something, I'll help you out, right? They've got that support that is there on the ground helping them live it out, working, God working through them to do the things that they need to do. And this drew them closer together, right? Every time that the, these rulers think that they're doing something to thwart God's plan, to weaken the church, it only makes the church stronger, right? We'll crucify Jesus, right? And, and that worked for a short time. Everyone scattered. But you know, Peter is no longer the same Peter that night that the church scattered, right? Um, and so it, it, it made them stronger individually, and it's making them stronger collectively. And they're trying to, to silence them. And we're actually going to see they're going to take a different tact, but when we see that in a couple chapters, uh, we'll, we'll uh, kind of look at the details about that uh, when we get to it. So they had everything in common. Again, it drew them together, grew them closer together, like what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. And they had that mentality together. Verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and grace was upon them all. They are fulfilling their charge, right? When Jesus left, he said, I want you to be my witnesses. And what are they doing? They are being a witness of Jesus Christ. You know, I saw Jesus die. And everyone else is like, yeah, we saw him die too. But then they're like, we saw him raised from the dead. And, the, and then the, that's, where, that's where their focus was, that Jesus has power over death. And that it is the resurrection that 
is really what we place our faith in, that Jesus not only died, but overcame death for the sake of man's sin. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. So we kind of pause and we see this and we say, you know, this is kind of like one of those like personal gut checks in Scripture when you say like, would you be able to sell you know, a house or land for the sake of others? I mean, just think about what that meant. If you sold your home, right, because somebody has a need, like that need was greater than your need to have a place of shelter. Um, you know, I, you know I, think, I think sometimes we think, um, you know, that they had extra land or extra houses. When they sold land, um, it, it meant a little bit more than us selling land today. I don't know how much of us have extra land to sell. I don't, but um, for them, how is how if they were a Jewish, what was land to them? A land, it was an inheritance, you know. And by this time, some of those rules we're actually going to see in a little second, like might not have been uh, adhered to. But land was, you know, especially if you're reading the Old Testament, if you read the Book of Ruth, like that was one of the big things that you know when. Uh, Ruth, uh, you know, when Naomi came back, they were trying to figure out, you know, how the, with the kinsman redeemer and getting that land back and, you know, what they do with her and, and, and all of that. Um, but land was passed down through family, right? That it was a tribe that was given a portion of land and that land was, you know, split up. And there was even, if land was, trans, you know, sold um, to different people, that there was supposed to be this year of Jubilee where everything went back you know, to where it was and redistributed because the land was supposed to be kept within the tribes. Now, we, we understand now that different empires had kind of taken over and, and kind of watered that down, but land would have been something just as like their, the, the, the birthright to be a Levite or to be you know, a work in the temple would have been something that would have been important for them as well. But they understand now that, you know, being in Christ, like that is like some of those regulations and rules were no longer um, necessary. Again, not applying that to all, but uh, for some, you know, giving up a house or giving up land was not just an extra piece of property. Uh, it could have meant something more to them. But the needs of what God was doing in their midst and to help out each other's needs um, to get them through and to kind of continue to see how God is working and to, to help fund what God is doing, that it motivated them to sell what they had. So why were they, why were they able to do it so easily? Because they had the joy of the Lord. And I guess I say that easily, but it, it may not have been an easy decision, right? It may have been something that's like, you know... I'm doing this, Lord, but I'm doing this trusting in you that this will, there will be greater blessing for what we are doing for God's work in the kingdom. Really What's that? Their heart had been really convicted. Their heart had been really convicted. Yeah. So they knew, right, you know, that another thing, too, is that whatever the land was that they had and whatever the house that they had, it wasn't theirs to begin with. Yeah. Right? Again, it's that proper understanding that whatever they had been given was really given over by the Lord to be used. And this might have been that time that I gave you this house, I gave you this land, and now is this time to use it for the sake of what I'm doing. We're actually going to see that for some of them, 
it might have liberated them. You know, there's, there's so many connections. Like when I read through Acts, um, that you're like, I didn't even really think about that. But we're going to see that the church is going to scatter in a little bit. But this actually might have been like one of those foundational pieces to allow them to do that. And they're going to scatter for a reason. They're going to scatter because of a particular thing that happens, right, that drives fear into them. But really God is saying, like, I needed you to go. I needed you to go to spread the gospel to other places. And there are certain things that might have been like, you know, this need, I gave this up, I sold this thing, but it might have also been that thing that God was using. Now you don't have anything tying you down. Now you can go. Um, and so those are things, you know, especially for those that, uh, that uh, have, have mission work as, as a burden on their heart, that, that, that God will liberate you in order to do the work that he wants to do through you. And so they gave it up because they, they, they saw all the brothers and sisters in need, and so they gave those things up. And then it says, verse 36, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. It's kind of interesting, like it, it closes out this chapter. Um, but we're introduced to like one person. This guy named Joseph, um, who is uh, Barnabas. Okay, And what does it say that his name means? Son of encouragement, that that was his, his nickname. Like the, his, word, his name literally means son of a prophet, um, but they had kind of uh, attributed son of a, uh, they, they said son of encouragement. Um, who knows, but maybe they had, you know, had, had said, you're more of a son of encouragement than a son of a prophet. And we're going to see that, that like, he lives up to that name later on. So we're kind of introduced to this guy, Barnabas, that we'll, who we'll see a little bit later. Barnabas is described as, as what? What tribe is he in? So we know he's Jewish, but he's in what tribe? Levi. He's a Levite, right? Okay. So uh, he's in the line of the Jewish temple workers. He might not, you know, we don't know if he's, he's you know, he's, he's not living in, in uh, Jerusalem, but he's from where? Cyprus. Cyprus. So it's a, the third largest island in the Mediterranean. It's off of the coast of Turkey. Um, Likely, being born in Cyprus would have made him a Roman citizen, just like uh, uh, Paul, uh, when he was um, uh, where, from where he was born, uh, made him a Roman citizen. We'll see that a little bit later on. We're going to see Paul and Barnabas when they travel. They often stop at this this island called Cyprus. Um, kind of interesting, you know, maybe because <laughs> Barnabas is from there, and he's like, "Yeah, we can stop. We can stock, stock up. We can do laundry. We can do, no. So uh, we'll see some of those things because there's a lot of detail given about this guy, guy Barnabas, that we don't see um, given anywhere else. And it says that he sold a piece of land, which is kind of interesting because Levites weren't supposed to own any land. So at this time, we kind of see that. Um, some of those rules and regulations that they were strictly adhering to in the Old Testament. It could also mean that he sold maybe a piece of land in, in Cyprus. Um, but uh, in any case, that he sells it, he gives it up, and he lays the money at the feet. And so we see an example, because you kind of say, like, well, why do we have this one guy's example? It sets up for what we're going to look at next week. It's kind of really a difficult portion of Scripture, um, especially for those who are unbelievers. Like, if you hear this passage, you're like, whoa. Um, and it's supposed to do that. So we're going to get to that next week, but we get a kind of a contrast that we're set up right now for one guy who is an encouraging person, follows the Lord from what we, what we see, uh, has left his uh, you know, Jewish birthright and uh, sold his land and given it up and is following Jesus Christ. And really, he's now liberated to go. We'll see that um, uh, in a little bit later. And, uh, but we see this as a contrast for what we're going to see next week. So, in summary, 
right? When we see others in need, it leads us to see God's provision and providence in our own lives. Um, and sometimes that's either to take stock when we see others in need. We can either see like blessing and be thankful for what God has, is doing in our own lives, um, how God has provided for our needs, that God is, um, you know, that uh, He is taking care of His people. But it also leads to maybe a point of connection where, Lord, maybe this need is a place that I can fill and that God is providentially placing me within this person's need. You know, they can, they can always, and, and again, that leads us to God to say, Lord, is this something that you're working in my own life? All right, because we can, we can fall too far on one side that every need has to be met by you, and that's not true, right? That um, God wants to, uh, God wants everybody to be involved in everyone's life within the church. And so if one person's meeting everyone's needs, right, distributing like the government, um, that that it doesn't form those personal connections, right? So the Lord sometimes places on your heart, like, you know, and, and it happens every day, right? And sometimes it's kind of among friend groups, like, hey, I, I, need, I need this. Uh, does anyone have one? You know, you got, go on social networks and somebody's like, oh, yeah, I got an extra one of those. Here, you can just have it, right? And sometimes it's just innocuous. It's like, I don't use it anymore, but it ends up being a blessing to somebody. And sometimes it's a little bit more uh, like, you know, uh, I kind of have it, I use it, I need it, but you need it more, right? And it's, it's a little bit more of like a, here you go, right? And it's the Lord again saying, you know, don't worry, trust me in this. And sometimes it's even, even a harder decision to make, right? That it may hurt a little more, um, but it allows you to, to trust in the Lord during these times. And so as we kind of look at those two things, right? Outside persecution where it drives us to the Lord and again see how God is working, connecting those dots and allowing us to see that we don't know how that dot will connect, but we know that uh, he will um, in the future. And even when people have needs within the church, that it grows us closer together and allows us to see how God has, has blessed us and, and worked in our own lives and allows us to maybe to be more involved in someone else's life within the church. And it just grows you together when you're able to supply for one another's needs. And so that's just great during this time, especially with Thanksgiving, as we reflect right, on the provisions and providence of God in our own lives to where He's brought us to, um, whether He's brought you to this church or whether He's brought you to the family that you have or He's brought you to the home that you're in or the job that you've got or wherever you're at in the city that you live in and all those things. And just to kind of ponder and reflect and think right, how they've shaped you, how they've strengthened you, and uh, they allow you to be in the place where you need to be to either go through the difficulty you're going through now or to be prepared to help someone else through their difficulty or to go into the next difficulty that you are going to enter. So again, these work great and uh, also set us up for what we're going to talk about next week. All right, any questions? David, uh, yeah. or comments? Back in verse 31. Back in verse 31. Yes. Yeah, um, that's a good question. Um, we don't see that, you know, sometimes you see like the filling of the Holy Spirit and then manifesting itself in some sort of work in that way. I think, 
I would say that when they are filled with the Holy Spirit, right, they're filled with a confidence to go and speak the Word of God. Uh, they're filled with the joy, right? And when you see like Paul speak about that, right, do not be, uh, um, don't be filled with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the, the Holy Spirit. And, and kind of that idea is that they felt God's presence. Um, they felt God's confirmation. And I think they just had this joy that spills over as a result of that. That's why Paul, when he talks about singing songs and psalms and, and all of that, that it fills you with joy, and that is what the Holy Spirit really like feeds on. So not that the Holy Spirit is an emotional experience, but that they are filled with the Holy Spirit in that sense, like that they are confident and ready to do uh, what God has asked them to do. And so that kind of that, that boldness. Uh, but you do sometimes see they're filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, in a sense of an out an outworking uh, of the Holy Spirit, we don't see that there, but we do see it after that, um, in that sense. So, yeah. So, one I, you can't be sure from the context, um, but I would say it's probably more in the line of what Paul's saying: being filled filled with the Holy Spirit, being filled with the confidence that God has given you, because they are, they were already indwelt by the Holy Spirit at this time. So, verse good two, question. Right before he got up to speak, so the filling was to do something. To do something, yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. And, uh, and that's usually what God wants us to do, right? Not just to fill and be like, you know, I hope you feel happy, right? It's usually to fill to then go do something. Yeah, great, great uh, observation. So, anything else? He was, yeah, as he went and uh, preached God's word. So we'll see see more about him later. Yeah, so. too, they had just received confirmation for the earthquake coming. Mm-hmm. So they could actually see that it was God working through them. I mean, they knew they knew the Holy Spirit was had to be there because they were performing things that no man could normally, you know, they couldn't perform. Yes. Yep. Good observation. All right. Well, let's, uh, do we have to pack up the chairs? I don't think so, because it's Thanksgiving. So we'll leave the chairs. <laughs> and uh, we'll be dismissed.